at a high level, the idea too is that if Fediment is a system for building financial applications and Noster is a system that's leveraging those to build other applications, that there's a lot of crossover synergies between user bases between the two things. So obviously I've been spending all my time trying to learn more about Noster. And in that process, a good friend of mine who's quite knowledgeable about this stuff said, you're excited about Noster, but you don't know anything about Fediment? That's crazy. So I said, well, okay, let me go learn something about Fediment. And I saw that Don, who I've hung out with, made videos with before, knew something about it because he was tweeting about it. So I chimed in with him and said, hey, let's get together so I can learn. And he pulled in Eric Yakes, who has a lot of depth and a lot of research in this area. So we decided to put this together. It's the majority of the beginning of it. We're focused on learning about Fediment and just getting the basics of what this is. And it's not very directly Nostra related. But then we actually talk about what are some of the overlap or kind of the touch points where it might overlap with Nostr. Um So I decided to put it here on Nostr Talks anyway, because I thought that it's relevant to everything that we like to learn together here. And so I uh, hope you enjoy the conversation. Infediment seems, I mean, I've heard about, it. I have a friend who's kind of more involved and closely, you know, using it and, and closer to some of the people involved. And he keeps telling me, oh, you got to get into this. You got to you gotta dig in. And then he's like, I can't believe you're spending all this time on Nostra and you're not spending any time on Fediment. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have like a very high level understanding of kind of conceptually what it is and what some of the goals are, but I don't really know anything. I'm like super noob at it. Um, and so I'd like to hear both like what, what do you guys know about it and what are you excited about? And then also if it if it has a very obvious connection to Noster, that would be interesting to hear. But if it if it doesn't, and it's just something else interesting in the world, that's fine too. So uh, where's yeah. uh yeah yeah I can uh, <laughs> I can jump into some of it around it. it. I think the tricky thing about Fediment is there's a lot of different lenses from which you can view it through. You can say this is a new form of custodial um, hardware that we're structuring for financial applications. You can also mm-hmm. say that it's a new layer of programmability, and it's going to enable a lot of financial applications to be built that are a bit more challenging on like the Bitcoin Lightning set. Um, mm-hmm. And and then you can talk about it from more of like a monetary perspective of it's effectively creating a new form of monetization for Bitcoin in certain ways. It's also, you know, creating e-cash for the privacy benefits. I think that the way that it's pushed publicly often kind of focuses on the privacy side of it. But, you know, in terms of what Don and I, when we were getting into the research, I think what really sold me is actually... Um, it's a bit more of a, you know, kind of like a business aspect to it where like in the lightning ecosystem, as well as on like, you know, base chain for companies that are being built, you know, when, when you're talking to founders, there's everybody's got their own business development plan and they're all trying to find ways to capture users and, you know, find a user base in various different ways. And mm-hmm. I think what's kind of compelling about what's going to be built on Fediment is that they have like a pretty structured plan for business development and uh, and user capture, and they're trying to use the protocol as a method to generate a user base that ultimately developers, when they're building on Fediment, they can immediately plug into that user base. So if, you know, Fedi, the company is successful in garnering a lot of users at a global level, then it'll be a lot more simplified process for founders because they can say, okay, well, we already have this user base in there. We have streamlined methods for if we build our application, we can be tapping into that user base pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. um, and that's going to simplify the process of development pretty significantly. You're not going to have to be as focused on the business development side. So like, you know, that's kind of like a so, high level. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and I, think, I think already, like, I think I kind of get some of where that goes. But I wonder if we could actually, you know, take it back to somebody like, let's assume I know most of the basics of Bitcoin and I maybe have played with lightning and then I heard there's a thing called Fediment. Yep. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Start from the beginning. Yeah. And maybe even part of it is like how you guys came to get excited about it. Because I, I, I'm sort of in the spot of that person I just described. Yeah, for sure. So kind of like one of the the problems that Fediment solves is in describing just what Fediment is in general first, right? So it's kind of an easy way to think about it is it's like a community custody model for Bitcoin. Um, So as opposed to either storing your Bitcoin on an exchange with a custodian Mm -hmm. where you have no control over those private keys, right? You're just hoping that the custodian will keep it safe for you and then give it back to you whenever you want it. 
or kind of the other extreme of, you know, self-custody where you are storing your Bitcoin on like a hardware wallet. Uh, maybe you have multi-signature setup where you're kind of splitting your, your key quorum up um, to have some, some redundancy there. Uh, Fediment kind of sees itself as kind of a, a midway point in that custody model. So instead of trusting like a Coinbase or a Binance with your Bitcoin, the idea behind Fediment is this can be like a community custody model. So a federation can be set up and of, uh, the federation is consisting of what's called guardians. So the guardians are in charge of basically running the Fediment protocol software, standing up whatever hardware is needed to run that software, and then being in control of the eCash that's issued when users join that specific mint. So and what is probably a, what is yeah, a good time I've to, heard eCash yeah. thrown around <laughs> and I, I've heard people talk about Chamian mints and that's kind of the genesis of this, but I don't really know what that means. Like what is what is eCash compared to just I don't know, lightning payments or something? Yep. Yep. So yeah, eCash, I think the, the first iteration of um, eCash was developed in the 80s. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, yeah. It was, and, you know, like David Chom was kind of like, you know, the, the grandfather of like this like vision for a lot of the direction that eCash ultimately went. I mean, that was kind of like the goal that the cypherpunks were looking into was develop a form of eCash until we got to Bitcoin. Yep. And kind of the problem with it was that you still had to trust somebody, right? Um and so and in whoever the case, was the issuer of the cash. Exactly. Yep. Right. Yep. But so, but so we have this of, problem kind of already solved with Bitcoin and Lightning. It, right. At least to me, it feels like it's in, you know not not perfect yet, but we're on the path to having something like an eCash. But then I hear the term eCash always come up when we talk about fediments. So why are we reintroducing what's maybe an older term? Is there something that I'm some some new feature that, that or some old feature that those held over that are, is now kind of revitalized? Yeah, I, I can speak to that. It's so like the problem with when uh, so the company was called DigiCash was when he tried to monetize the idea, and um, you know the problem that they had is they were basically taking dollars and they were pegging it, uh, you know, to a value of eCash. So mm -hmm. that worked when you had trusted servers, um, and that's fine if you want to trust the traditional financial system. What Bitcoin solved is it created a digitally native form of money. So like. We basically the idea is that the benefits of eCash were that we had this very private form of transacting, which is you know it's it's a a lot of people call it a digital bearer instrument. It's it's close, but you're still dependent upon the servers and transactions, so you can't quite call it that. Um, mm -hmm. But nonetheless, you created this very private form of transacting. Now that we have Bitcoin. We can use that as the digitally native form of money that's backing it, and then mm -hmm. we can issue eCash on top of it, and that gives us the further benefits while not having to trust the U.S. dollar financial system. I see. And so, is it, it when we say eCash, are we talking about like it's pegged to like a U.S. dollar? Is, is that the core piece that maybe isn't in the rest of Bitcoin Lightning Land? Right, so it's not pegged to the dollar, so it's pegged to Bitcoin, and it's not okay. necessarily like pegged either. That's a key thing. Like, it's um, and this is where I think a lot of controversy will probably emerge around it, and what a lot of my research into like you know free banking systems, how I think it could still work at scale pretty well, but it's a it's, it's a tough theoretical topic. Um, but nonetheless, there is no blockchain within eCash. It's just a spare instrument that gets issued. So like. A federation is composed of software that speaks Bitcoin, it speaks Fediment, and that means that it also speaks eCash and Chami and Mints. Um, mm, talk about, sorry, Eric, t talk about the, the problems with Bitcoin that Fediment solves, right? Tell okay. Why do we need eCash? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, primarily for like just the... Um, uh, the privacy properties of eCash, that's that's a really big value add. I mean, the only other solution that seems to make sense is like zero-knowledge rollups, and those are much harder to implement in practice. Like we see a lot of implementations of those over in Ethereum. They all necessitate, you know, it's a very complex system. It requires development. You have mm -hmm. to have backdoor access by developers if you want those systems to be constantly iterating. So the benefits of zero-knowledge rollups are kind of undermined by the fact that you still have to keep it centralized during the development process. And mm -hmm. then if we even were to implement that within Bitcoin, it re would require a soft fork, and that has a lot of 
implications for how that would impact, you know, MEV on the base chain um, and the incentives just on Bitcoin itself. So whether or not that soft fork would even ever occur to get those privacy benefits, it's like, okay, well, how do we get it today in a way that provides a proper user experience other than, you know, having to use mixing services and things like that and a ton of education. eCash is kind of like a really big solution to that. Also, by creating this type of system of eCash, it makes it much easier for us to create a programmability layer for financial applications that are leveraging the eCash directly. And it's not constrained by the rules of Bitcoin and Lightning. Mm. Um, so th- th- those are kind of like the two primary things I'd say. eCash is a bearer instrument and it's focused on privacy. Is that is that yeah, a good yeah. kind of a so, good so summary? The- or? Yeah, so like all like the way that I'm trying to explain it is basically you have servers with a multisig, and those servers will speak Bitcoin. They'll speak Fedimit, which is eCash, um, and they have the ability to where you send your Bitcoin to the multisig address of those servers. They will issue you eCash in return that's commensurate with that value. So mm-hmm. you'll now have, like, if you do it from your cell phone, they'll send you that eCash directly to your cell phone. There is no blockchain or anything associated with it. You just have eCash sitting on your phone. If you mm-hmm. lose your phone, then that eCash would be gone. But, like, within the Fediment protocol, they have a backup system where you effectively, like, shard ownership of that eCash mm-hmm. amongst the servers as well. Mm-hmm. But how, how the eCash actually gets transferred and what enables trust within the Federation is that if I send my eCash stored on my phone to you and it's now stored on your phone, there's a verification process of settlement at the Federation where I send it to you. Once I have the eCash on my phone, how do I know that you didn't just copy that eCash on your phone and send me one of them? Um, Mm -hmm. You will immediately within the transaction, it checks with the Federation servers who all have like a list that they hold of eCash issued. And it'll say, mm-hmm. okay, you have this eCash. We're going to refresh it with a new eCash that that person can't double spend. So it has a double spending mechanism that's used. And that's why it's kind of hard to call it like a bare instrument completely. You know, like if you compare it to like cash, when I give you a dollar bill, there's no centralized party that we have to like, you know, adjust and refresh the dollar bill with. So it's not quite a bare instrument, but in terms of a lot of the properties of transacting, it effectively acts in the same way. I see. So is the mint is the right way in, sorry, I'm kind of like learning this all from scratch. So hopefully, yeah, totally. uh, uh, but is the mint is, is one way to think of it is kind of like the function that a bank or maybe even like that a bank might have in the world today. Yep. Yep. Where they maybe issue like, IOUs in a sense, but they are backed, hopefully. I mean, there's fractional reserve in the banking system. And I think if I understand it correctly, in this system, there's not fractional reserve, right? Well, it's, you know, fractional reserve is a market phenomenon, right? So it's the the idea is that with Lightning, um, you know, we wouldn't have fractional reserve because it's by the requirements of the protocol that that's enabled. Now there's trade-offs to having a system like that. Um, We have to have, uh, you have to put your Bitcoin into a hot wallet to utilize it. You have to have capacity limitations, which might lead lead towards centralization of the network over time. Mm -hmm. So I think like what's compelling about the eCash side is that you're giving up that risk. Like there is a potential that you could have like a rogue server that starts implementing or issuing more eCash than Bitcoin they've received in their multi-sig address. And that could be a big problem. Um, I think though, when you get into the details of like the economic side of it, that at a minimum, you could see this exist as a, um, a functioning system where there might be some degree of fractional reserve. But, you know, I, and I argue in my writing a bit more about this, which is a complicated argument, but I think that the properties of a digitally native system could actually make the system so efficient that the free market incentives to want to produce a fractional reserve system may not even be possible. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, that is a risk of this system. And uh, and I think that like that'll be one of the key challenges as to whether or not people want to accept the benefits of privacy and programmability that'll come from it and still be, you know, trusting their particular federation. And then what one other point I'll add on that is like the idea around what Don was saying with the um, the middle way that they're trying to find in terms of custody between third party custody and self custody is that, you know, when you 
it was like probably what I was most critical of when I first heard about Fedimit is I was like, okay, well, we could probably just focus on optimizing for self-custodial practices. And I think that the, the big problem with that is that, you know, all of this comes down to user experience. And as much as we want that to happen and as much as we educate, it's just not a realistic perspective to assume that everybody in the world will self-custody one day. Um, I think that there will be various you know, uh, compromises that are made. And yeah. I think that with the idea of trust fundamentally, um, you know, trust isn't something that we want, but it's certainly something that we can optimize for. And when you think about third party custody, it's definitely not being optimized for. There's not much of a social cost towards, you know, a third party not acting in your best interest. If you're storing with FTX international, um, right. and there's not even a, like a legality that can really back you up in a lot of different ways, then, it's really just dependent upon a profit motive. So once that profit motive is gone and the system's crumbling, I mean, you're basically screwed. What if I try to summarize at least what I yeah. understand so far? So there's the, um, there's the large centralized providers of, you know, custody and those have problems that you don't have a direct relationship with the people. They could exit scam or defraud you and they don't really care. And that's, sort of the, you know, that's the FTXs of the world or the Coinbase of the world. There's a lot of, you know, s trust that's kept with people who you don't really have a direct relationship with. So there's problems with that model. And the other extreme is self-custody and self-sovereignty and ownership of your private keys and management of that is very challenging for even fairly technical people. And so um, we don't believe that, like, the future is going to include everybody doing that at all times. And so if I understand right, Fediment is intended to create something in between where there is some trust in a third party, but it's a third party who you hopefully have a closer relationship with and who has more responsibility to you and to making sure that your, uh, your custody is handled appropriately and they don't have as much of like a big broad scale profit motive as they have, uh, you know, maybe they're a community elder or a respected, you know, citizen within a community who would be trusted with that. So is that kind of, is that the right setup at least? That's the basics of why it right. should exist. Right. Yeah. They, it, it, the idea is they're trying to optimize for trust. And if we're going to trust, there's the better way of doing it, which is kind of the way we've naturally evolved based on communities. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I would add the other part too is as Bitcoin continues to scale, right? The way that the base chain and even Lightning are structured today, there's no way we could onboard the entire world to a Bitcoin standard. And so Fediment comes in and they say, you know, we're planning that, you know, 10, 15 years from now, whatever it is, the majority of the world is going to be using Bitcoin in their day to day lives. How do we structure a model that can account for that? And also, bring the benefit of privacy, which is something that Bitcoin lacks today. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of where the eCash model comes into Fediment as well. So we have, you know, a bunch of community, community banks, for lack of a better word, around the world that are set up to be um, as big or as small as, you know, the people running them want them to be. And then all of the folks in their network can opt in and get increased uh, security, increased privacy, and then also mm -hmm. increased programmability, right? So the other part of Fediment is it's not just for custody or privacy. It can also has the ability to build out modules within the Fediment ecosystem. And so a module can be thought of like as like an application, right? So mm -hmm. just like on, we were talking about Nostr earlier before we started recording, just like on yeah. Nostr, how there are, you know, hundreds, potentially thousands of applications being developed on the protocol, you also have that same ability within Fediment. So, um, you know, you have the, the option to opt in to different modules within the Fediments themselves as well. All right. So, so let me ask a, a couple basic questions. So do you have already a hypothesis or working model of what scale a Fediment might operate at? So it sounds like one of the things is it can, it can help Bitcoin kind of be useful to more people and handle some scalability things with base chains. And then there's this trade-off of how many people are involved in a particular fediment. Do you have sort of a, a working model or hypothesis from what that looks and feels like? I, 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 I don't think that we have like a, a strong idea of what it would be, what would be the most popular. Um, and I guess it would depend on how you define popular too. But I think that it'll range between um, 
you know, like a, a family-based custodial model where perhaps the parents are the federation, um, all the way up to commercial scale type federations, which would be more commensurate with something like the liquid side chain, for example. We could have federations set up in that type of a way where maybe if there is some sort of exchange custody that's happening through third parties, it's all being conducted through this federation of exchanges with competing interests who all need to agree upon something so that you know it, it can reduce the uh, chance of fraud occurring. Okay, so I have a I have a mental model for what a family looks like, and I think that one makes sense. The kind of liquid side chain one, I don't think I have as strong a mental model. So is that something like maybe in today's world, in the physical world, we have like credit unions that oftentimes have like some trust or association or affiliation that uh, that helps them operate in a, a different way to kind of a, a big national bank. Is that a reasonable analogy to the kind of liquid example you're giving? I could say it could even be bigger than that. Um, I, it's, it's certainly possible that a similar application emerges at that scale too. Uh, but I think another way that you could think about it is if, uh, you know, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, and all of them had some sort of uh, settlement system that they were using for their customers. Rather than trusting just one of them, you could have them all provide settlement in some sort of federated mm. type model. That would be like the far extreme in which it could exist. That's kind it, of the it, largest it, model that you would imagine. Yeah, that? yeah. And I, the thing is, too, is like for that kind of a system, the, the reason that I – primary reason – as of now, I think that that may not exist is because you'd probably want to have some sort of side chain of settlement because it would be for a very different use case. So while the technology could be used at that level, um, it would likely still be something more like a liquid that I would see that would be leveraged for that purpose. And I'm, I'm, I've heard of liquid, but I don't know too much about it. So can you help connect the dots with how that, that relates to Fediment? Yeah, yeah. So Liquid is just a sidechain. Um, like the first two primary implementations of sidechains on Bitcoin were RSK and Liquid. Um, they are a similar concept. Like the, the idea of a federation within Fediment they got from this type of sidechain model where they said, okay, if we want to have a chain that also has more programmability um, and enables us to do other things that Bitcoin limits us on, then we could set up a side chain where we're trusting a federation of parties that are all leveraging that side chain. So it's pretty much like a stakeholder model is the way they set mm -hmm. it up. Different companies that are using it for settlement um, with you know either aligned or competing interests at different points in time, their sign-off is required at some threshold in order for funds to be ultimately moved from the side chain back to the base chain. But basically the idea is you take your Bitcoin, you send it to a multi-sig address, it's now pegged in to the side chain, and now a new token is created on that side chain that's pegged one-to-one, -one, and then that, for, that token can be used to conduct economic transactions that you wouldn't be able to do on Bitcoin for more like, you know, uh, financially demanding or uh, uh, the resources that are demanded of those things and the uh, the uh, flexibility of the system is is greater. So like that, that was kind of the purpose of it. And it didn't get a ton of traction just because I think that at that scale, the CFI avenue still made a lot more sense. People didn't see really a ton of value in the trade-off. Um, there's a lot of other reasons I think you can get into as well. But I, I don't think that we've seen the last of it either. I think as Bitcoin starts to build as more of a reserve asset, we could still see that technology being leveraged in the future. Yeah. And, and so we have the ideas of kind of how these fediments look and at what scale, and there's kind of the uses for them. And you've mentioned programmability and apps. And I'd like to try to build a little bit of basic mental model around what kinds of apps or what kinds of programmability you might imagine could be supported by fediments that we can't do maybe in the rest of kind of Bitcoin or lightning land. Yeah, I think that there's, you know, fediment recently did a hackathon and some pretty interesting ideas came out of that. I think like fundamentally how to first think about it is like, why wouldn't some of these things just be built on lightning? Um, and I think the idea, you know, we went back to privacy as a key piece, but also mm -hmm. like the uh, channel limitations that you have within Lightning and solving that problem without centralizing the system too much. The eCash type federated model doesn't require any sort of capacity in order to send transactions. So that's a pretty big advantage. You can, because it's just sending eCash over, you know, your bandwidth to another person. Um, transaction throughput's also still really good. And you, they effectively have 
created this system to be able to um, to be able to operate in a really flexible manner because there's less rules with it, right? So like that that enables a lot more applications to ultimately be built atop it, and um, and I think like for some of those reasons, it could be the system that's ultimately leveraged that developers would want to build on, just because they it, it would be much more simplified. And you mentioned like a hackathon or a bunch of uh, hypotheses or proposals. So it sounds like maybe privacy-oriented things that you might otherwise build on Lightning where you demand more privacy, those might show up. So uh, how do we – I'm just trying to imagine, is this like a messenger app or a lending app or some other yep. type of service? Or what, how should we sort of think about that? Yeah, so like practical applications, I, I think a really big idea that emerged is the idea of like stable sats. So within, you know, there's a lot of controversy around stablecoins. They're demanded for their stability in other countries. Bitcoin is demanded more as like a medium of exchange, not really as a store of value to people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is like, okay, would, do we want to have Bitcoin native stablecoins that are existing or is there an alternative? And a really interesting idea was stability pools. And they're basically the idea is that, we can pool capital together and create effectively like a derivatives market. It's just a bunch of contracts people set up. You have people who want stability on one side and you have Mm -hmm. people who are willing to assume risk to gain Mm -hmm. upside on their Bitcoin who will take the other side of the contract and you could commit to a certain value. You'd say, okay, I just got paid in Bitcoin at 23,000. I want to lock that in for the next month because I'm going to pay for a lot of my, you know, general day-to-day transactions with it. So you find another counterparty who's going to say, okay, we'll lock it in at 23,000. And then the system looks towards like it it would require an Oracle that would look towards public markets and say, what's the exchange rate of Bitcoin to US dollars. And then at the end of the month, it would settle and say, okay, Bitcoin's gone up to 25,000. Since then, you will now pay the person who was assuming risk 2000 more dollars. And, um, and then you still have locked in the stability of your price, or it could go the other way and you have Bitcoin goes down to 20,000. And then the person who was assuming risk lost on their bet. And now they're paying you a commensurate amount of Bitcoin to keep that us dollar stability. And Um, that kind of transaction presumably can't be enforced on any of these systems. It's more of a human enforcement. Is that right? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So like within these types of pools, you would have, it would effectively be the settlement of that in eCash is ultimately determined by the federation upon which that pool exists. Um, So like that would be a good example. If we had an application like that built, it would probably be leveraging a federation that's built more at a commercial scale. Mm -hmm. And so that would would operate something like uh i mean it's it's almost like i think about it the way a, maybe a brokerage works and you have margin calls you might actually get margin called on this kind of thing and it would be the people running the fediment who would have to adjudicate the risk and figure out who to margin call when it, w- it wouldn't be based on margin it's based on like a fully collateralized position so it's like it would be like um who the parties that are assuming risk are locking in that proportionate amount of Bitcoin. So the settlement just occurs. It's basically like a smart contract. Like the collateral is locked in. Once mm-hmm. the final period is ending, um, the payouts are conducted based on that. Um, so let's the, say, let's say, you know, you, you talked about these examples where Bitcoin is in the 23,000 or 25 or $20,000 range. What if during that thing it goes to, I don't know, you know, 5,000 or 100,000? Like who, who right. holds that together? Right. If there's enough people to be... So, like, you can set the contracts up within, like, bands of, like, stops. So, like, when you get into the complexity around, yeah, if, like, Bitcoin goes to zero or something, then there would be a point at which, like, the contract stops out and exits. Um, so, yeah, you can set it up like that, which would be more of... It's not as much, like, you are still trusting the Federation, but you're trusting how the software is written more so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the would be, like, the liquidity providers would most likely in practice be hedged on the other side, right? So they would be providing liquidity and then earning some type of spread, most likely. And they would probably just net out their risk on the other side uh, with a different party. That's and are they doing that all within practice. the context of a single fediment, or they might be operating across different fediments they have relationships with? Yeah, it could be across multiple, which is actually like when we look, you know, how this might look in the future, um, having like lightning service providers potentially act as gateways between fediments 
um, I think is probably the most likely way that plays out. So, you know, you'll have different e-caches between different fediments. There will most likely be use cases where you'll want to transfer e-cache between fediments for different purposes. And oh, I didn't realize that was allowed. So how do, well, yeah. what is the so exactly, model yeah. between, oh, okay. I think that's where the, the lightning service providers would step in, right? They would effectively be able to charge a fee for changing out your e-cache, depending on which mint you're wanting to do business with. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? So they kind of like, you know, warehouse a bunch of different e-caches effectively I charge see. a fee for kind of being the bank in that scenario to, to help people transact between different fediments. But, but each, each fediment is itself functioning as a bank and is, has its own kind of, I don't know if this is the right way to call it, kind of a proprietary e-cache that only works within that fediment. And yes. then if you have these liquidity providers would be kind of meta banks on top of those banks that hold some liquidity of the proprietary e-caches to make them interchangeable and they right. capture some spread for the service they provide. Exactly. Yeah. The, the e-cache isn't fungible between each federation. So you need a system of effectively like intermediaries and that's either like lightning gateways or it could be just like a broker system. Depends on what you want to trust. You could trust the lightning gateway um, and, you know, the risk associated with that. Or you could just have, you know, like it could go all the way to the point where you have a centralized broker who just holds e-cache balances of various federations and is acting as a market maker, constantly accepting and forwarding along payments between, you know, different federations e-cash, which is an interesting property. Yeah. So are you, you have the, um, the people who run the, a given fediment have to trust the, I'm trying to think about how trust flows here. Do they have to trust the liquidity provider? The liquidity provider has to trust the minter. Maybe it's that way. Yeah, I think like, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, that's the right way of putting it. So the the fediment is trusting that the liquidity providers of you know who are forwarding payments along to other federations in some ways will continue to be operating in that function, um, and then the the liquidity providers they are going to have to trust the federation that they're acting in the best interests of their community as well as their e-cash it's theoretically possible that you could have a federation who just prints a ton of e-cash and tries to trade it off to another community which Mm -hmm. is a, a pretty big risk but i think like when you look at like free banking systems historically they didn't really have these types of intermediaries set up this way. And it's like right. really important. It's like what prevents a federation from wanting to do that? Well, they're going to lose their market makers pretty quickly. Yep. And it's going to be very obvious to the market makers what they're doing. Of course, you're going to have edge cases just as in any free market where things go wrong and people take dumb risks. So they set things yep. up and get enough people to believe things. But like when we talk about it at like a large scale systemically, it would be very hard. You couldn't continuously implement an operation like that. Right. And you probably couldn't pull it off at the same scale that the single points of, you know, like a purely centralized provider in today's world, like an FTX might try to do. It would presumably have a more natural ceiling on how big these could get and how, you know, before they would sort of want to reconstitute it smaller. Exactly. There's a bunch of stakeholders with competing interests who all are a part of that process occurring, whereas in FTX, you had SBF doing a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. Right. Okay. So I think I get like some of the basics, like the motivation for why these things should exist, some of the features that they hope to express. I wonder if we could talk just a little bit about like where we are with respect to this. Like it, how long has this been going on and sort of what are the pieces? My understanding is I think Fediment is a protocol. Fetty is a company. Are there other companies that are implementing this? Like, what does the whole sort of ecosystem look like, and how 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 long have we been progressing on this path? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. Fediment, the protocol, was developed a little over a year ago now by a lot of the folks who are part of Fetty, the company. Uh, Fetty, the company, their first go to market is going to be basically a wallet that interacts with federations to do you know eCash type. Um, exchanges and they're also going to be working with the few the first few actual mints to get stood up and kind of do you know some proof of concepts there um other than fetty the company there are i think just ideas at this point i don't know of any other actual formal companies using the protocol yet um i think a lot of that will be coming probably this year as fetty gets ready to roll out their their project and the first few federations get stood up um so it's all very new it's all um you know, a lot of it is theoretical at this point. 
Um, mm-hmm. Talking about you know just applications in, in general that are exciting. Uh, one idea that's come up here recently is what's called Fetty Pool. And so this would be a way to basically distribute mining pools within Bitcoin. So right now, as mm-hmm. you might be aware, you know, there's probably three pools that make up uh, the majority of the Bitcoin hash rate. And so the idea of using Fediment to try to distribute mining pools would be that individual miners could come together, form a Fediment, and then basically operate their own pool that way. So instead mm. of everybody just trusting, you know, Foundry, for example, to do what's in the best interest of the miners uh, and pay them out, you know, when they find a reward, you would have actual guardians of uh, different mining pool operations be distributed uh, through this this Fediment model. Um, and so I think that could potentially be pretty interesting. And then, and that, you know, that's you kind of a, into, if I, I just want to make sure I understand, that's a pretty yeah. different thing than kind of the community custody application, right? This the kind of mining pooling thing is a a pretty different direction this might go. Yeah, so that would be an example of like an application that could be built on the Fediment protocol itself. I see. Mm -hmm. And the core Fedi, the company that developed the protocol and then is also developing, I guess, Fedi, the application, is that Mm -hmm. application meant for the community custody idea that you originally we're discussing and then this other this kind of mining pool thing is more of like a hypothetical what else can you do with the protocol exactly yep okay got it and so um do they have already a hypothesis around what as a company they you know i think i always i always find it interesting to think about you know businesses in this this world where there's like you know bitcoin and everything is kind of open source and you know how do you sort of create and capture value uh so do you have do you know if Fedi already has a hypothesis around where they plan to create and capture value within an ecosystem that's otherwise open source? So I think that, you know, like there's, I, I don't think that they necessarily have like an incredibly long-term plan. I think a lot of it's like, we're building this technology. We have different ideas of what could work and we're going to, you know, mm-hmm. learn through what emerges within the ecosystem and what we're doing and respond to a lot of that. But I think like a good example would be if they're running a wallet that's doing e-cash transactions, there might be some very small fee associated with the transactions conducted through the wallet. Cause there's no mm-hmm. blockchain based fee for sending that. It's just being conducted wallet to wallet. So if a bunch of people are using the wallet and they take, you know, um, a few basis points or so on different transactions. That's one example of a business model that could emerge. I see. And so right now they're not really focused on what the business is. They're focused on trying to get the protocol developed and some of the initial fediments stood up so that you can sort of see how it works and, and try, try playing with it. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Like if if you're if we're talking about a system of like transactions, so there's probably some sort of fee based model that would emerge. Um, and I think that they're thinking that direction. But like the primary thing here is if we can get enough users onboarded, which is going to be a pretty hands on process, then we could actually, you know, kind of bootstrap this organic demand for the ecosystem. So it's, I'd say that's their primary focus is making that happen. And, and is the because we think about custody as an important part of this you know, custody and privacy and the programmability um, is the idea that most people who would be a part of the initial installation would be thinking of it as like a, a bank to store value versus a bank to use e-cash for kind of daily expenses or is it is it more for storage and custody or more for easy access to using it in kind of a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's more for the store of value mechanism. So, like, I think the way they kind of see this rolling out is um, outside of developed countries first, right? So, you know, you think of the global south, and you look at examples of of countries there that are just being ravished by inflation and and horrible mm-hmm. fiat currencies, right? So, those people need Bitcoin to store their wealth in. But, you know, there's not a lot of wealth in those countries compared to developed countries. And so this model of community custody makes a lot more sense in those parts of the world, at least initially. And so I think the idea would be get some federations stood up, really get that community banking ethos kind of understood by the populations there. Show them, you know, the power of Bitcoin and how it can store your wealth across space and time at first, right? And then probably mm-hmm. down the line, introduce some of these more complex financial applications and um, programmability type things that we've been chatting about. I see. And so it sounds like a lot of the 
early potential users of such a system are kind of living in a very different world and have a bunch of different experiences than we have. Uh, you know, maybe there's, you know, less of a established banking system and less mm -hmm. of a, um, I mean, I'm not even sure how, how, how would they get their first Bitcoin? Like, do they have fiat rails already in some of the places that this is proposed to, to be useful? Yep. That's a good question. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's certain, there's certain communities that have a pretty good Bitcoin adoption rate. And the way I understand it, those will probably most likely be targeted to be some of the first areas for federations to be kind of bootstrapped. Does that happen because they have like their own, I've heard some, I've heard and seen some stories around, uh, some of the mining stuff that's going on in kind of like, you know, stranded energy stuff. Is that the kind of, you know, archetype of a community where Bitcoin is already well understood or at least understood. somewhat understood, but there isn't necessarily a strong fiat on-ramp system? I think that's a great point. Yeah, I think that, that that's definitely a good example of it. Um, I also think another technology, too, is uh, Paxful is another good way for a lot of these people to find their onboarding experience. There's, there's definitely like peer-to-peer -peer markets, and for people I've talked to out there as well, Telegram channels are another way that that all emerges too. There's a lot of just peer-to-peer -peer conversations happening within those types of communities. So, so how does that, I'm, I've never quite understood. Obviously I'm like, you know, just some dude who lives in California and like very disconnected <laughs> from the actual mechanics of how that works. Um, if, you know, if I were in, uh, you know, pick your location in the global South and I were not connected to, uh, you know, kind of, I didn't have a fiat or bank account and I didn't have rails like let me buy Bitcoin. What do I do with Telegram? Am I finding somebody who I can exchange a local currency with to get a digital currency? And like, where are they? Are they just bringing it in like a brain wallet or something or? Uh, yeah. In terms of like what the specific wallets are that they're using, I mean, I think it certainly would depend. Um, but uh, yeah, I think like the, well, what the majority of people are using down there is mobile money for payments on the M-Pesa. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's a lot of, and you know, I, I, I guess I, I can't really be certain of this, but I think that a lot of it you'd see is people meeting in Telegram groups and saying, I want to sell 200 Bitcoin, meeting up with another person, they send them mobile money and, uh, and then they, you know, so they send a wallet or something. And then they, and somebody has, somebody showing up somehow with this digital currency that they can then send to a QR code or something, whatever wallet they're using. Yeah. Just a wallet transaction. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. see. And then you also have more like, you know, formalized peer to peer applications such as like BISC or peach mm -hmm. are a few examples that kind of act as like a reputation system in effect. Yeah. Uh, that way you kind of remove some of the risk of straight peer to peer trading where you don't know, the other party on the other side of the transaction. So I think it's a combination of all those things. Yeah. Right. Got it. And so, so the, the, it sounds like the early Fediment users might be there. Are there already kind of like maybe not, you know, places where the use case is not so desperately felt, but that there's sort of like prototype communities that are being stood up just to try to practice the mechanics of how it works. Like is, do you guys run one of these yourselves or do you think you'll run one to play with it? Yeah, well, once it's more, yeah, uh, you know, once like the main net is off and running, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that the first major announcement that they have started to roll out at was Bitcoin Lake in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the other ones, I know that they have plenty teed up, but none of that's been publicly announced. Mm -hmm. And Eric, how did, I mean, you sound like you're so deep in this. How did you sort of get into it and where, what sort of your kind of, let's say, interest or how do you imagine you participate in it going forward? Yeah, I just think that like when I when I think about the a lot of it just started with my research around the future of Bitcoin and what's going to be happening and it's basically the way that I see things now is there's kind of this range of outcomes that Bitcoin could turn into it, you know, the worst case scenario, I don't really see a possibility that Bitcoin fully fails. I think that it's worst case scenarios, it really just becomes like a digital gold 2.0 in some form, and it gets captured by centralized institutions, mm -hmm. and people are just using it for the scarcity property. At the other end of the spectrum, we have, you know, a global apolitical monetary system where people are freely transacting between one another without having to depend on very many at all, you know, centralized parties. Mm -hmm. So, uh, going into my research around how one, I think that'll pan out and two, what's kind of needed to get it to the point of being this global apolitical monetary system. 
that's what ultimately led me to Fediment and how this could provide a lot of the properties that are necessary when you combine it with Lightning to uh, to get Bitcoin to that idea of like a alternative financial system. So I think like um, if we have the Bitcoin base layer and we have Lightning and we also have Federation set up, we've kind of solved a good amount of the problems. Like if we assume that none of that existed and we're just using, you know, base chain Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. then, you know, we have transaction throughput issues, which Lightning solves. We have privacy issues, which eCash solves. Um, And then we have programmability issues, which I think eCash or the Fediment protocol could also solve, as well as Lightning. It's just, I I think that it all comes down to what's going to be the most efficient process for that, for developers to utilize and where that network effect will build out. But it, you know, it's like a lot of the things in crypto, I don't think everything is, um, you know, I think a lot of bad things have happened, but it doesn't mean that every idea was a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's, pretty cool ideas that actually have emerged and those need to be implemented on Bitcoin in the right way. And I, I saw Fediment as kind of um, a potential avenue for that occurring. And so really like my view is I, a lot of the writing that I do is around what the future, you know, quote unquote banking systems will be for mm-hmm. Bitcoin because we kind of need something to that effect. Uh, we have to optimize around certain forms of trust to make all these problems have some form of solution mm-hmm. and, uh, and what that might look like. And that's what led me there. Got it. And I didn't. I, I know we didn't do real proper intros at the beginning, but do you guys officially work together, or you're kind of social and friends, or sort of what? What's the you know kind of? Are you in the investing business, or are you sort of in the development and writing business, or kind of what's what's your day to day? We're we're definitely social friends, <laughs> and uh, we we are also working together too. Uh, I, I guess I'll pass it to Don on that one. Yeah, nobody listens to your podcast anyway, right, DK? So we can uh, <laughs> right. yeah, say whatever you want. <laughs> I'll just hang no, out. Yeah. So <laughs> Eric and I are in the, in the process of launching a, a Bitcoin-focused venture fund. Um, and so kind of as we dug into how we think the future of the Bitcoin ecosystem looks, that led us to Lightning and Fediment and doing a deep dive on all of the peripheral technologies that we think will play into the future of Bitcoin. Um, and I know you and I have chatted about Nostra recently and some of the Web5 things as well. We think yeah. all of these things coming together at this point in time could really um, lead to some some cool opportunities. So we, we're in the process of launching our fund now. Um, our name is Epoch. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so Eric and I will be working together on that. And we're, we're pretty excited about the future of Bitcoin. Cool. Yep. Um, on the, you know, a lot of... The, one of the reasons I was pointed to Fediment is because um, I've been spending so much time in Noster, and I mentioned that I have this friend who's like, "You can't be spending all this time in Noster and not care about Fediment." So I wonder, like, you know, Fediment sounds interesting, sounds very different than Noster, but I can see some potential touch points or kind of crossover. And I wonder, do you sort of have a view on what that might look like, and is there a lot of discussion already going on about where? you know, where Noster may touch Fediment or vice versa? Uh, I think a first good example is that you could run a relay on yep. a federation. Um, so that that's one example. I think that at a high level, the idea too is that if Fediment is a system for building financial applications and Noster is a system that's leveraging those to build other applications, that there's a lot of crossover synergies between user bases between the two things. And you mentioned kind of the potential coupling between relays and and the mints and i wonder is there some advantage you get like is it a general like network um kind of a, a default sort of organization principle of the network that would make it attractive to run both a mint and a relay as kind of the same entity or how do you think about that i think it's like if you have hardware that you're setting up to support communities and people already, then you might as well leverage that to the nth degree based on whatever your applications are. So having it set up in a streamlined way so that it supports Bitcoin, it supports Lightning, it supports, you know, Fediment software, and it supports your peer-to-peer protocol apps, um, that, that's kind of like the ideal. And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, an Uber-based model where if we, before we had a bunch of cars sitting around that weren't being utilized, and now we found a way to utilize that infrastructure, I think it'd be kind of like that. If a bunch of people are starting to take their hardware and commit them to these types of systems, that we might as well find a way to do that as most efficiently as possible and not have a bunch of, you know, stranded hardware sitting around. Mm. Yeah. So so when I, when I talk to relay operators, at least some of them seem to be very focused on, like, even just making relays scale more is just going to be 
really painful and they want to keep them very dumb because you know any extra logic or intelligence really you know they think of it almost more like a router than even like a server let's say mm -hmm. um and so at least there's some some idea that you know relays should be kept very simple and dumb and then they should sort of be able to scale themselves so is there like a tight coupling between the type of people who a given relay operator may choose to support and the type that a fediment may choose to support like is it the same kind of let's say user base or customer base the way i kind of think about the crossover would be like more application specific like so whatever the community of the specific fediment is interested in maybe whatever whatever kind of modules or applications the guardians of that mint find most beneficial for their user base um, I think they could potentially use relays specific for those use cases, right? And they may only, they may be private relays where they only allow the members of their community to be part of it. And that kind of puts a lid on some of those potential scaling issues at the relay level itself. Um, and then, you know, that also helps prevent the spam problem um, and things like that. So I think it, it's probably, at least at the beginning, it'll probably be more specific to the applications that that specific mint wants to provide to their user base. Mm -hmm. And do the, um, do the guardians have a built-in kind of business model? Like, is there a, a, a switch you flip that you collect fees or you can choose zero or some amount of fees, or is it more meant to be a, a volunteer? How, how should that work? It's that's more of like, I think a, it's more meant to be a volunteer and, but it, like, once again, it's just the technology where anything is possible. I think that question comes down to more regulatory. Um, the second there's a profit motive, then that changes the way that a federation would be perceived within different regulatory jurisdictions. So, mm. like, if we go to, like, the community-based piece where it's, like, you know, you have a family and you have an account that you're using, then it makes sense because you all gain some sort of ability from doing that together. Um no profit motive associated with it. You're not charging your kids money to do that for you. Right. Um, that's one example. At the other end, if you have like a commercial scale operation that's doing profit motive, um, then that might be in a certain regulatory jurisdiction and might even get certain licenses. There's a lot of things that could emerge. I see. And yeah, it would seem like to do the large scale one, you sort of, the only reason they would probably operate is if there were some, some financial motivation, I guess. So oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that sort of, there's some version of this that would be commercializable, but there's also kind of a, a volunteer one is kind of the default starting point, let's say. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think it just depends on scale. Um, you know, doing things out of altruistic uh, sense only goes so far. And so I think that only makes sense in probably the, the smallest of the small federations. Right. And then once you get beyond that, you're going to be want to be compensated for not only your time, but there's going to be hardware costs and uh, software costs involved as well. So um, yeah, like I think what, we'll see it. I could imagine, would there be customer service too? Like would a Fediment yep. have like a, a helpline you can call or text to to get, yep. you know, a exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, talking about integration with Noster, that could be a perfect use case for like a private relay, uh, to, mm -hmm. to function as kind of a customer support, um, communication network. Yeah. That starts to feel like a, a reason that maybe, uh, like a, a paid relays have been becoming popular in the last few weeks, especially. And it seems like a paid relay at some amount of scale probably has some sort of organization around it, right? That, you know, figures out how to collect money and how to refund money if the right thing didn't happen and how to set, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I think, you know, a lot of times in, in kind of Bitcoin world, and even in like Nostr, we sort of think about these like very hyper-efficient engineered systems, everybody volunteers and contributes whatever they want. But then, you know, when the real world happens and it's not, you know, a bunch of uh, us who kind of like to poke around with it, but it's more like, you know, trying to make it accessible to people who don't really care about the technology and they just want to like get something done that they often need like a point of contact or some sort of a, a, a customer service rep that they can reach out to and get a, you know, a text message or an email answered. And I could imagine then maybe that a paid relay, maybe that, that to me feels like a credible reason that like a paid relay and a fediment may be operated by the same entity. Yep. Is that kind of how you're, you're seeing it too? Yep. I think so. I think that makes sense. And then you can also layer in, um, the kind of the, the one missing piece there is the, the lightning service provider role, right. Mm -hmm. Which could potentially be fulfilled by the same group as well. If they're needing to route payments to and from a relay operator or 
to and from uh, different different events for whatever the use case is. And I think you'll probably also see, you know, a relay operator also be a lightning service provider, also be part of the event as well, potentially. Right. So do you think these end up becoming, I mean, I guess maybe it's a broader Noster Fediment question, but do you imagine that when these become businesses, there's some kind of natural containment on the scale that they would operate at? Because like I can see a natural containment on Fediment because of the way trust works. Like any given Fediment probably doesn't get to the same scale as FTX, and that's probably like a good thing. But um, but like relays feel like they could end up being like quite large scale, and maybe they don't yep. monopolize, but they could be they could be really large. I think, um, and you know have like teams and maybe corporations that run them. I, I don't know. Um, so is there some kind of model you have in mind about how these things? might actually look like, do you think they remain, you know, two, five, 10 hackers kind of working in a thing or do this, does someday it looks a little bit more like a, you know, I don't know, like a scaled tech company. I, I think that like for the custodial aspect of it, um, I think that we'll see a lot, a decent degree of decentralization because you're trying to optimize around trust with that. So a lot of that I think will exist within families. Um, mm -hmm. You could start to see like smaller scale community credit unions, banking type systems emerge where people are committing funds and, um, and you know, the, the guardians are effectively like a loan board or something. And you could see a lot of that in like global South type economies. And then you could go all the way to the furthest end where we could have large scale federated systems and those are providing commercial scale um, services and financial applications that um, are being used at a large scale, like a decentralized exchange or something like that. Mm -hmm. So like a federated exchange would be the idea. Right. And then yep. the, I think the, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think on the, on the Noster side and the, the lightning service provider side, I do think those probably have a tendency to coalesce around a handful of large players, um, just based on you know the the unit economics of running a business like that. Yep. And um, you know, I think that's one of to, to be perfectly honest. I think that's one of the main uh, challenges with the the Lightning Network to date. Right? I think it's forty to forty five percent of all public traffic within the Lightning Network is being routed by nodes that are operated by exchanges. Right? So. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty centralized now. Um, nobody knows exactly how many private channels there are because that's impossible to track. Um, but I mean, you know, as the public capacity grows, if those larger players continue to grow and continue to route the majority of that traffic, um, you know, that's a, that's a concern for the network health in general. And I think that probably also applies to to Nostra relays as well. Similar concept. Right, right. And and so you guys are, I guess deep in research on this and kind of also in the process of launching a venture fund. Uh, and do you imagine that the things that you invest in, do they look kind of like traditional U S equities, like a Delaware C Corp that sells you shares or are there other models that you've heard of that might kind of more appropriately align with the way value is created here? Yeah, that's one of the, interesting things to think about how this whole ecosystem gets built out, right? Because, um, I mean, in our case, yes, we will just be, you know, vanilla equity investors. Um, but in the future, I could see different models taking place, um, especially outside of the U.S., where it's more of like a DAO is kind of a dirty word, right? But mm -hmm. that similar concept <laughs> potentially right. um, could could be the structure that a lot of this takes in the future. What are the aspects of a, of a DAO uh, that seem appropriate here? Yeah, I think it's just like the distributed nature of um, the parties that are involved with the project, as opposed to having, you know, just shares divided up from a C Corp. You have just distributed folks all over the world, potentially that, you know, have certain roles within the project, and they're not necessarily compensated based on how many shares of the of the company they own, like is traditional at this point. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's like, uh, it's a question I've been noodling on and, and brainstorming with a bunch of friends lately, uh, because I think, I think there's, I was even, I don't know if you saw this note that I wrote, um, where I was, you know, kind of talking to somebody who said like, oh, bounties are way better than, I don't know, venture capital or something. And um, I kind of take some issue with that, because I think bounties serve a different function than venture capital. They're maybe like, uh, more near term uh, uh, more clarif clarified 
uh, goals of a project with more near-term results and the risk is borne by the person developing it versus kind of more pooled capital. And I think, you know, the venture capital model works to pool risk with financial partners and maybe allows for longer term things with more diffuse goals. And maybe there's, you know, you know, for all of its flaws, I think sort of the, you know, basic science research that's funded by tax dollars ends up, you know, being very diffuse and hopefully beneficial to society, but is, you know, probably very inefficiently run. Um, and so I could imagine that new models would emerge, but I wonder sort of like how, how does sort of the risk and reward and kind of return payoff work? I, I just mentioned three models, right? So like bounties, venture capital, and, you know, basic science funded by government. <laughs> um, do you think that sort of among the kind of risk and capital pools, there's something kind of in between the bounties and the venture capital model or in between the venture capital model and the, and the, you know, taxation and government funding, or are there new models that have been proposed that people are sort of noodling on around this? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't, I guess I don't necessarily know of any new models kind of the way I think about it is, especially with, um, protocols and ecosystems that are as new as things like Noster and, and Fediment, right? I think the key is just having that long-term relationship with founders and companies that are building on those protocols. And I think to me, the way that makes the most sense to, to develop that relationship is through the fund structure, right? You're having 10 plus years to see what that project, AKA company can develop into. And I think, you know, if you compare that to like a bounty model, sure, you're solving for a problem that ex exists today, but you know, in startup world, a lot of the times you go through three, four, five, six, seven iterations before finding product market fit. And so right. I don't think that the, the bounty model really makes much sense in that context. Yeah. It seems like bounties are really good when a problem is well defined and understood and maybe can be accomplished by maybe, a, you know, one or a small handful of people. Um, I was, I was proposing in that thread. I think it, it would be hard to like, you know, do, you know, it would be hard to do, you know, mRNA discovery or to do, you know, uh, rockets, you know, to launch satellites with a bounty program. You sort of need other types of risk and, and pooling to make that work. Um, yeah, I guess kind of a kind of the other, um, I guess, model that's out there now is just like funding developers, right? Like you see that in the Bitcoin ecosystem where mm -hmm. uh, individuals or not for profits um, or even companies just provide funding to developers to work on Bitcoin Core. Um, I guess that that model could potentially continue to spread and grow in the future as well, where it's, you know, not necessarily putting a, a time or a specific task on the donation, but really mm -hmm. just like funding the person. Um, right. Have those, I, I know that, um, uh, you know, square block spiral has done a lot to show kind of what, uh, you know, one model of that might look like. Are there, has that instigated a broader effort towards that? Or are there other people who are coming up and kind of replicating that model in different flavors or how, what's sort of your understanding of how that's hit the market? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's several like Bitcoin specific, not for profits that people can donate to that fund development as well. And then on the other side, you have, uh, actual companies who might, this, this goes back to more of like the, the bounty model, but they might have like certain things they need fixed for their business. Mm -hmm. Right. And they, they'll, they'll put out a, a kind of a notice to developers that say, Hey, you know, we're, we're willing to fund you, but we would like for you to work on this problem in addition to, to whatever else you're working on as well. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think the, how, how we kind of help nurture this ecosystem in all, all kinds of ways, you know, are important, like find the people who have the ideas and the talent, find the capital and, and the risk and the returns available to the people who are taking the risk and, you know, get the stories told and make it more visible what is happening so that more people can sort of coalesce and aggregate uh, to help solve these important problems. Um, so, so it feels like there's innovation in every direction here. <laughs> yep. And I think too, like one thing that, you know, um, Bitcoin has kind of shown us is that 
adoption will happen, right? If there's demand for mm-hmm. for the protocol or for the for the application. Um, but if you don't have like a central company or central foundation that really drives like the business development and marketing, um, adoption might happen, you know, slower than it would otherwise. And so I think you know when you look at something like a fediment, um, that's one kind of issue that they're trying to fix, which is using, you know, uh, Fetty, the, the company is kind of like a really a business development arm for mm-hmm. Fediment, the protocol and ecosystem itself. And so you're kind of trying to take the model of like what a lot of, um, you know, crypto projects have used in the past and kind of port that in a more um, thoughtful way to the Bitcoin ecosystem where, you know, we're not printing money out of thin air to support the foundation, but we're using the model of business development and marketing to try to drive user adoption and developer interest uh, to the, to the ecosystem. Right. And do you have right now, if you sort of had to pick, are there milestones for the future that you're attentive or aware of that maybe Fetty is aiming towards like maybe the first deployment, if it's not already out, like when is that three months out, six months out a year or two? Like, yeah, yeah. It should be within the next quarter or so, I believe. And then, um, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll see a handful, if not more of actual federations up and running. Um, and just, uh, you know, for Eric and I, our, our job here recently has been to try to model out what we think, uh, startup growth in the ecosystem looks like in the Mm -hmm. ecosystem specifically, um, which is kind of a hard task when it's, when it's this early. Right. But, uh, you know, we think within a couple of years from now, you could have several hundred startups in the space, uh, pretty Mm -hmm. conservatively. Um, and do do you see yourselves as fediment investors, lightning investors, Bitcoin investors, sort of anything in this open ecosystem or how do you sort of think about your mandator charter? Yeah. Yeah. So all of the above. Uh, and then in addition, you know, we think kind of like we've touched on a few times, we think some of the peer to peer and self-sovereign technologies that are surrounding the ecosystem will really be accretive as well. And so, you know, we're open to investing in projects and companies building on those as well, as long as we think that, you know, the user bases will be cohesive and that they will drive uh, value to each other. So with those, I just to uh, clarify, I, I've, I've seen or heard of this Keat thing is that would that be the kind of thing that would fit into that broader peer-to-peer mandate you're talking about exactly yep yep and we could even throw you know certain types of hardware in there Mm. as well i mean you see like you know people coming out with um like self-sovereign mobile phone technology Mm. right now you see like Mm -hmm. home servers uh, that people can run various applications on Um, all those types of things would would fit into our mandate cool so th- yeah, I mean this is super fun. So thanks for thanks for coming by and sharing. I think at least I get a little bit more depth on what Fediment is and sort of its purpose, um, and kind of more about how you guys are thinking about the ecosystems. That really helps me. Thanks for thanks for coming to to share your knowledge. Yeah, for thanks sure. For yeah, so 